It's just after 8 o'clock in the big city. It's time for America's favorite Las Vegas sports show, Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson. <laughs> yeah. What up? Party's going on. Duh. Going to a party. Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson is brought to you by Hannah Shea Boyle and Rappaputi. Trial lawyers that get results. Visit PSBRLaw.com. Steiner's Pub, a true Nevada-style pub with three locations. One on Cheyenne, one on Buffalo, and one on the south end of the Strip. Steiner's Pub. We love this place. Preventative Diagnostic Center. Book your non-invasive scan today for peace of mind. Visit pdcenterlv.com. Rob Ritchie, Farmers Insurance, 702-335-5740. 702-335-5744. Laborers Union 872. The builders of Allegiant Stadium and the Las Vegas Ballpark. Home of the Aviators. Promodirect.com. Use K-10 for a 10% discount on your promotion items order. Promodirect.com. And by William Hill Racing Sportsbook. America's leading racing sportsbook. Visit WilliamHill.us. So get ready because Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson starts now. That's right, KT Live, Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo, right here at Vegas Drive on the west side of town. And here Wednesday nights, I think it's like the eighth straight year. Took a little hiatus when I was doing a show over there at uh, Legacy Stadium on Wednesday nights, but then came back. So on and off, I think it's about 11 years over here at Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo. Uh, three in the Vegas Valley, of course, to serve you. 8168 Las Vegas Boulevard South, and I've done some remotes there as well. And then 8410 West Cheyenne, that's the original, now in their 25th year. All three locations rocking and rolling. Great sports activities going on, and you can catch all the games. They'll replay a ton of games, so a 24-hour establishment, all three locations, so you can get in there, 24-hour kitchen, enjoy the great food, enjoy the great atmosphere. Uh, Gaming, of course, they've got the marquee boards lit up, so when you walk in, you're able to find out which machines are hot, which ones uh, maybe a little cooler, but, uh, you know, they switch off on and off. In fact, I'm looking today, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, jackpots already hitting today at this particular location so and they put them up there as long as they hit for uh, I think the uh, the lowest one that I see up there is $1,305 so you'll have your video Kino your video poker Chris Wynn of course when he makes it here he'll play his caveman Kino and uh, you know really good crowd at the bar uh, what they don't have on tap they've got in the bottle full bar of course and uh, you know just set up your drive you know home in case you're going to uh, party hardy and uh, have a good time and maybe a little bit too much. You want to make sure that you're covered there, but uh, they'll take good care of you. Carolyn runs the show here at nights, most of the nights, and does a great job. Uh, the great thing about all three Steiner's Pub locations is the service because you can have great food, you can have great spirits, you can have great sports, but if you don't have great service, it doesn't mean a hill of beans, but you do get that at all three Steiner's Pub locations. Roger Sachs sees to that and uh, just a great atmosphere to take in all the games. Lots of things going on in sports. I mean, are you kidding me? You had baseball, football, basketball, hockey, and, of course, college football as well tonight on a Wednesday night. So uh, lots going on. Get with Mark Lawrence in just a sec from Playbook Sports. He joins me every Wednesday night. Let me just uh, run down a couple things. Major League Baseball, uh, both games are in the books. And the uh, Padres, big come-from-behind win today because Philly won that opener last night. 
And then they come back with the matinee game, and the Phils put up a four spot in the second inning. And it looked, for all intents and purposes, like, hey, maybe with Aaron Nola on the hill, they can cruise and get up 2-0 and head back to the city of brotherly love for the next three and uh, maybe close it out. And lo and behold, the Padres got a couple solo home runs back-to-back, got back to within 4-2, and then a five-run inning uh, that put it to 7-4. They end up winning it 8-5, so they even that series up at a game apiece. They'll play game three in Philadelphia on Friday. Meanwhile, the Yankees, with no rest, again, closing out Cleveland's Guardians last night, uh, had to come back, or actually yesterday afternoon, but that game went a little bit later. And, uh, you know, by the time they got on that flight to Houston, it was evening hours there, so not much rest for the Yankees. It showed they did get an early lead. Bader hitting a monster shot to give that Yankees a one nothing lead in the second, but Houston countered that run right there in the bottom of the second. It stayed 1-1 for a long time, and I was surprised that Jamison Tyon was able to tightrope walk and get out of a bunch of jams, but three solo home runs by Houston gave him a 4 one lead. Rizzo hit a solo shot for the Yankees. Four to two the final. Astros win game one in H-Town and tomorrow is game two and that'll be uh, Severino against uh, Valdez and so that should be a pretty good one. I haven't seen a line on that as of yet. I'll get you that later on in the show. One game college football. Appalachian State pulled away from Georgia State. 42 to 17. Had both running backs there and went well over 400 yards as a team rushing. Last week they only had 41 as a team. So Appalachian State's one of those teams you just can't figure out. Uh, they closed as an eight and a half point favorite as some money went on Georgia State. 60 and a half was the total. And how about that? The game hits 59, 42 to 17. The final. App State wins it. A uh, bunch of hockey games. Well, not a bunch of hockey games. A couple hockey games. Uh, one still going, and two are in the books. And uh, tons of NBA basketball. I'm not going to get to all of that. I'll get to that at the top of hour number two. But I will let you know that, of course, my Knicks lost. But a close one, lost in overtime by three. Did get the cover against John Morant and the Grizz. Final score was 115-112. And a bunch of teams in action tonight. A couple games tomorrow. Get to all of that. Right now, the Mavs, though doing what they did last year to close out Phoenix's season in the Valley of the Sun, right? Uh, Blew them out. Doncic had the big game. In fact, he had 27 in the first half last year, and the Suns only had 27 as a team at the half, and it was one of their worst losses in history there in Phoenix. In fact, I think it was definitely postseason the worst loss they ever had. So they start up tonight, and they're back in Phoenix, and it's the Mavs at the Suns, and you would figure Suns are going to be ready for this one. Crowd was ready, 60-41. to just 47 seconds before intermission, Mavericks up by 19. So the same way the Suns closed out the year as the number one seed in the West, they are starting the season the same way, and I'll keep an eye on that game. 61-41 now with 47 seconds to go in the first half. All right, Mark Lawrence is with me. Tyler running the show right now, doing a great job. And, uh, of course, he is one of our new uh, board ops taking care of business. Mark Hoke, of there. Mark Hoke, of course, is there as well. And do not forget the Mark Hoke Show. If you like professional wrestling, you'll love the Mark Hoke Show. Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. right here on KDWN. That's 720 on the AM side, 101.5 on the FM side. Mark Lawrence, great to have you. And so much going on. I mean, you got to keep your head on a swivel. Just on a Wednesday night, you have all these sports going on. And, uh, you know, college football, uh, we're going to have some NFL coming up tomorrow, of course. We've got a big Thursday night game for the Arizona Cardinals, who were busy trying to 
you know, get some offense going because they have struggled mightily offensively, Mark, and uh, they're hoping that maybe an acquisition of a disgruntled Robbie Anderson from Carolina could help out that receiving core. They do get Hopkins back off the six-game suspension. They did lose Mar- Marcus Brown, though, or Marquise Brown, the uh, Hollywood Brown. He is out for a little bit, uh, but we'll see how they uh, fare with the New Orleans Saints tomorrow in the Valley of the Sun. We'll talk some NFL football, but how is Mark Lawrence doing in Playbook Sports? Uh, doing really good, Kenny. Having a really, really good year. Thanks for asking. Uh, you know, it's every week we put the newsletter together, and uh, we just get knee deep in the card each and every week on both sides of it, and can't wait for the game to begin. So, here we go. Wednesday football, Thursday football tomorrow, and before you know it, the weekend will be here. Yeah, some great games, Mark. And wanted to get your take uh, real quick before we get rolling. Uh, Buffalo did win in Kansas City. They didn't put up near as many points as they did in the. Uh, football game last year in the postseason in KC. But I always felt like Buffalo was the better team. It just felt that way. As good as Mahomes is, I just felt like Buffalo was a stronger team on both sides of the ball. I like the way Singletary's running the ball now. I think Kansas City doesn't give Clyde Edwards-Hilaire the ball enough. And I think they get, you know, too focused in on Travis Kelsey. Uh, they try to get the other guys, Smith-Schuster and Valdez Scantling, involved. I get that. They're new guys coming over trying to take the place of Tyreek Hill. But I don't think they run the ball near enough. And I think that puts too much pressure on Mahomes, especially when he goes up against some solid defenses like he did against Buffalo and like he will this week when they go to San Francisco. Well, Kansas City's rushing attack, as you mentioned, Kenny, it only ranks 20th in the league, so it's in the lower third as far as rushing attacks goes. You know, their offense is all about the passing game where they rank fourth overall. So uh, you're right. The observation there was right. In Buffalo, I mean, they rank number one overall in offense, number two in defense. They're the complete football team. And as you mentioned here, uh, I don't think you let the price scare you in that football game because you felt they were the better team. My argument was simply that uh, I thought the game was uh, was knee-jerked for the revenge in the football situation, given the sense that they were a two-and-a-half-point dog in the championship game, and they went off as a two-and-a-half-point favorite in the rematch. So, bottom line, we had another entertaining football game, and it went down to whoever scored last in that game as well. All right, so, Mark, where are you as far as a lot of the analytics and, and uh, things that go on at the pro level when you start seeing a lot of these and I shouldn't say a lot, but a good handful of coaches to where they're starting to go for, you know, these first downs a lot of times on their side of the field. Uh, Staley, of course, got in trouble with that last year to close out the season with the Chargers, but we're seeing other coaches do it as well. And a lot of times teams are passing up field goals, and later on in the game, it's a field goal that they needed to actually be within a score. I've seen that probably five or six times already this season. I mean, I get it trying to go and get the seven, but I don't think you have to go for the seven all the time. I think sometimes you want to salvage points, especially, you know, if you had a drive maybe eight, nine, ten plays and you're in the other uh, team's end and, you know, maybe it's a fourth and three from their, you know, 27. Okay, so it's a 44-yard field goal or Am I going to go for the seven points? Well, sometimes I think teams are better off taking the three points, getting on the board and salvaging something so that the offense feels like they accomplished something instead of all of a sudden they miss the field goal, or I'm sorry, they miss the opportunity on the fourth and three, they don't get it, and all of a sudden they come away empty. The, the coaching decisions today, Kenny, are just absolutely mind-boggling. And uh, I don't know if it's because we have had such a run on these young former coordinators who are now becoming head coaches 
and they feel like they need to do their own thing. And whether it's analytics, that's part of that equation, I'm not quite sure, but uh, it's really, really making everybody scratch their head. And uh, I know Vince Lombardi is rolling over in his grave watching these calls and these decisions that are being made here today. Look at the Cleveland Browns game last week against New England. Uh, you know, explain to me how when they're down 24-15, uh, they're down by nine points in that football game after they scored, and they opt to go for two. You don't make the two. You're still two scores behind. You kick the point. You have a touchdown. You can you can get even in the football game. It makes no sense, nothing whatsoever to me. And they can have their analytics sheet right next to them, just like a tattoo pasted on their arm. It doesn't matter. It's not the right call. It's not the proper call and things to do. And it just, uh, I don't know if it makes for good radio talk conversation, but it's not wise decision-making that's going on in the NFL these days. I'm telling you, I've seen it uh, over and over again. And look, I'll get into it with Steve Fezzik and some of these people that, you know, they want to tell me, hey, look, when you're, uh, you know, when you score and you're ahead by six, I mean, you can go for two to go up by eight or things like that. And it just kind of boggles my mind. Or when uh, I'm trying to think if it was KC or one of the teams that uh, in the NFL that had a chance to go ahead by eight, with an extra point, but they went for two to go up by nine. And I was just like, what is that? That's two scores. I get it if you get it, but risk and reward, all of a sudden, you're keeping, uh, I'm sorry, they were up by seven, so the, they'll go for two to go up by nine instead of kicking the extra point. I mean, if I'm up by a touchdown and a two-point conversion, that's the most the other team can get. So the worst-case scenario for me is that I'm going to go into overtime if they, if they get a touchdown and two-point conversion. If I miss the two-point conversion, then I'm only up seven, and if that team scores, then they can surprise me and they can go for two and I can lose the game in regulation. You know, I think some of the rationale, Kenny, is that if a team is uh, down like Cleveland was nine points, and they go uh, and they go for the one, they still have to score twice. They have to score the touchdown and get the two-point conversion. But if they have to make the kick, it's still scoring twice. It's getting a touchdown and kicking a 34-point extra, or 34-yard extra point. So, you know, I don't care how you want to defend it till the cows come home. It's just not the right proper call to be making. And the Cleveland Browns missed that conversion. They let themselves down nine points, and the air went out of the balloon from that point there afterwards because they were fighting an uphill battle from that point to the end of the game. Yeah, and they've had some tough losses, no question about it, the game to Atlanta. I mean, just... I mean, you lose these two-point games, they're going to come back and bite you. And, of course, the way they lost to the Jets, all of a sudden this Browns team's up against them. They go to Baltimore. What about it? They're getting 6.5, 45.5, and it's a Baltimore team at the beginning of the year. We're all looking, oh, this is it, Lamar Jackson. He's going to rebound. He's going to be that guy, that dual threat. Well, yeah, they miss Hollywood Brown. They have some other players. Now Bateman's banged up. But at the end of the day, this team offensively, they look like a shell of themselves, and the Giants really shut them down and came back. I mean, the Giants are a comeback team, but Baltimore has an offense that they shouldn't let teams hang around. They've gotten double-digit leads in, in uh, three games or four games that they, they've ended up losing, uh, you know, and it's, it's crazy. I mean, to watch Lamar Jackson struggle the way he does, I think he's spending too much time inside the pocket, and he gets lost in there. I mean, Kyler Murray, it's one thing because he's shorter. Lamar Jackson's taller than Kyler Murray, but still he holds the ball like a loaf of bread. That's how he fumbled against the Giants in the waning minutes last week, and they end up losing that game. Talk to me about Baltimore at home, minus 6.5, total 45.5, and, and the Ravens have really struggled at home. They had dropped five straight before they got the two-point win against Cincinnati, but they're not playing great ball even in Baltimore. No, they're not, Kenny. And, uh, you know, Harbaugh has been part of this, this 
coaching decision-making processing that we're talking about here. He's made some horrible calls. He's not a young uh, court, uh, recent coordinator turned head coach. He's a veteran, and I don't quite understand what's going on there. But the one thing that jumps off the page to me this week, is, and I noticed this in our midweek alert newsletter, that's our statistical newsletter, and what really jumps off the page is this, is uh, in analyzing all these teams, you've got an abundance of football teams in the NFL that are running the football for over five yards a carry. You've got an abundance of defenses that are allowing over five yards a carry. I've never seen anything like this in my life. Uh, look at this week's card. You have seven offenses that are running the ball for over five yards. You have six defenses that are coughing it up for over 500 yards or, or five yards a carry. So what this means is, is the teams are trying to make adjustments from the, from the offenses that we've seen in the past where it's been a pure run game. Now, because, uh, because they're opening the run up. They're taking advantage of the run. And suddenly, uh, these teams are pounding the ball on the ground and getting yards and chunks on the ground instead of through the air. And that's what we're seeing in the National Football League today as far as that goes. In this game against Cleveland, exactly what we have here. The Browns average 5.2 yards a carry. They cough it up 5 yards a carry. Baltimore, 5.9 yards a carry here. You know this card. This game is going to be decided by obviously whoever is going to have the most rushing yards in the football game. But I think when push comes to shove in the game, Kenny, the bottom line to me is Cleveland has the better offense. They have the better defense, and they're getting a touchdown in a division game. I don't need a coach. I don't need analytics. I don't need anything to tell me other than just what I just told you. Give me the touchdown when you've got the better offense and the better defense. There you go. Can't argue with that. Okay, let's go rapid fire. NFL Falcons. They haven't lost against the spread even last year. They won their last game, so seven straight against the spread. They have. One, they are plus six and a half at Cincinnati, forty-seven and a half, and it's a a Bengals uh, team that sits three and three. But this team could be six and zero. Oh. I mean, this team has really played some close games. We talked about the two-point loss, uh, you know, to Baltimore in a game that they were right there till the end. I mean, they've had several games like that. What about Cincinnati? They come off the win at New Orleans. Uh, this is a team to be reckoned with with Joe Burrow and company. He's been on his wallet again uh, a bunch of times. In Atlanta, Marcus Mariota doesn't put up a ton of yardage passing, but he mixes it up enough and uh, all of a sudden Kyle Pitts has got involved. Uh, they've got some playmakers uh, despite being without Cordero Patterson. This Falcons team continues to stay in all their games and cover all their games. What about a Bengals minus 6.5, 47.5 from Cincy? Well, Marcus Mariota called it. He is a point guard. He's the point guard for this offense. Uh, you know, they don't uh, win games because of him. They don't lose games because of him. He just gets them in the position to win the football game. Uh, what's I think what's been most impressive to me about Atlanta this year is, again, we're hitting on the running game here. Five times in six games, they've rushed for over 150 yards in a football game. That's mind-boggling. Uh, now they're taking on a Cincinnati Bengal football team that's been out-yarded in each of their last three football contests. That's what I call leaking oil. I can't lay a favorite that's leaking oil into a team that's going to pound the ball on the ground here. i got to run with the hot hand with the Atlanta Falcons here and see if they can't make it 7-for-7 seven seven in cashing tickets this year. All right, so both New York teams off to great starts. The Giants 5-1, and one, the Jets 4-2. and two. Both their uh, signature win was against Green Bay, but I'm thinking Green Bay is just a shell of themselves. I mean, when I watch this team, that offense, you just keep waiting for something good to happen. And every now and then, Lazard will come up with a catch or, or uh, Tunyon, but Aaron Jones, I mean, Dylan might have a decent run. But this offense is really struggling, and the offensive line 
is anemic to say the least. And, I, you know, we've seen it uh, with Bakhtiari. That guy's on the injured reserve list almost every week. Questionable at best. Misses a ton of action. So not a lot of continuity there. What about the Jets? What about the Giants? Where are you with these teams? The Jets are in Denver. They're catching a point. Are we looking at these teams uh, maybe with the glass half full too much based on that they beat Green Bay? Are, are you sold on either one of the New York teams? Well, you have to, you know, you like to, the Bill Parcells phrase, Kenny, you are what your record says you are. They're both winning football teams. And it's hard to dismiss that. And really, in truth, there's nothing phony about what they've done, especially statistically. You know, they've done a nice job that way. But they're taking on the Jets, a Denver football team that's really having an identity with with this offense here. In fact, one of the best lines I came across, you put it in the newsletter this week, is the fact that after Denver lost their football game uh, in overtime, a Denver television station put a graphic up on the screen and said that it was easier to pass a kidney stone than it is the football for the Denver offense this, this football season. They just cannot move the ball, the Denver Broncos. The New York Jets, they've won three games in a row, all as underdogs straight up. When you dress up as an underdog again in the fourth time, that's a really, really nice, attractive role to be in. I've got to grab the points of the Jets and let Denver prove to me that you know they can do something they haven't done all season long. And as far as the New York Giants are concerned, again, Let's prove let's prove it different. Let's prove it otherwise until they you know until they can't do anything uh, that says that they can't win a football game. They're taking on a Jacksonville football team. That's all they can do to stay alive in a game, let alone win a football game, and let alone lay points. The last 18 times Jacksonville has taken on a team out of the NFC, they are 0 and 18. They've lost 18 straight games against the NFC. Cover the spread only two times. You got to grab the points with the Giants in this game as well. All right, real quick: Steelers, Dolphins, Sunday night game. Tua should be back in action. Minus seven now, forty-four and a half. Look, the Steelers. I got involved with them last week against Tampa Bay in game because they looked like they were holding their own in the first half, and I ended up winning that game by a couple points. Uh, your take on this one with the Steelers off that win and Trubisky stepping in nicely there when Kenny Pickett went down. Dolphins though going to be fired up getting Tua back. They've dropped three in a row. They really need to get this one at home and of course the 50-year anniversary there basically of that undefeated 17-0 Dolphins team there'll be a big celebration on that Sunday your take on this one now Dolphins minus 7 44 and a half the other sidebar note in this game Kenny is the return of Brian Flores to Miami now uh, as assistant on the Pittsburgh defense here so he comes home here as well but I think the game's more about Tua coming back here and I know this offense this team is geeked up to have him uh, he's really, really become the, the leader, the, uh, the go-to guy in this football team, and they want to wrap their arms around them. Everything dissolved for Miami when he went down. Now he's coming back here, and I can I can just see them rallying right around him in this football contest here. And there's a nice little angle. I've got it in the newsletter here. Basically, in a nutshell, what it is is uh, if you take a team that's 500 or better in the NFL and they've lost three in a row straight up into the spread the last three football games, these teams are really good when they're taking on an opponent that pulled an upset in its previous game, which Pittsburgh did. I think Miami makes a statement in this football game, both for the owner and the team, and I think they run away from Pittsburgh. All right, so KC, a two-and-a-half-point favorite now at San Francisco. Look, if you told me I had a healthy Nick Bosa and Armstead and Tufanga, all these guys are healthy. I'm all over San Francisco. I just like their defense like I like Buffalo's defense. Uh, I'm not sure that those guys are going to play, and if they play, how much – uh, percentage-wise, they're going to be effective. Your take on that one, KC off the home loss against Buffalo, they go to San Francisco, and that's not going to be easy, even if these guys are banged up. Your take on that one? 
Well, as you mentioned here, the key factor here is not only the injuries to San Francisco, but to Kansas City as well, Kenny. Their defensive secondary is it's tattered, and uh, we saw that in a football game. They were exposed by Josh Allen and the Bills when he just kept picking them apart. So whether or not the Kansas City secondary can come back uh, a little bit healthier this week also it remains to be determined. But San Francisco is going to rely largely on its defense. They've held three opponents to season-low yards this year. Number one ranked defense of the National Football League, over 100 yards a game better than Kansas City. And you've got Kansas City coming to this football game. They're starting to do this year what they've done before in the past, Kenny, and that's not perform well on the field in the yardage. They've been outgained their last two football games. I think San Francisco bellies up here. Rallies around the, all the injuries they have, and I think they take Kansas City down in hand in their second straight loss. Great stuff. Mark Lawrence, of course, 5-1 and one last week, Playbook Sports. Mark, your record is just impeccable. I mean, you're picking up where you left off in basketball season. I mean, it's good stuff. Uh, your take as far as, uh, real quick, Mississippi LSU. Lane Kiffin comes in there. Uh, you know, they're unbeaten, but their schedule down the stretch is crazy. And I think Brian Kelly and LSU are going to take care of business. They're minus 2.5 at home, 68 the total. Look, I know Daniel is inconsistent. He had his best game as a Bayou Bengal last week, throwing for three, running for three. What about LSU minus two and a half, 68 the total against Ole Miss? I'm going to stay at home with the LSU in this football game. That was a big win for them, for Brian Kelly. They've really done nothing wrong since they struggled a little bit early on in the football season here. And now all of a sudden the spotlight is on Ole Miss. They have to win a game in a real tough spot down on the Bayou here. I'm with you. I like LSU in the contest. Last one, Oregon. It's going to be a lot of rain there in Eugene. Same in Corvallis, but 95% chance of rain. Oregon minus 672 the total. Look, I mean, UCLA played the weakest non-conference schedule to start out, and they were very fortunate to escape with a one-point win against South Alabama in that third non-conference game. But they flexed their muscles, staying at home with a Friday night win against Washington and then beating up on Utah the following week. They come off the bye, as does Oregon. UCLA's catching 672. DTR playing great ball at quarterback, but I'll tell you, Bo Nix is playing outstanding ball as well, and a major uh, major home field advantage there at Autzen Stadium. Chip Kelly knows that very well, coaching there all those years with the Ducks. What about at Oregon minus 672 against the Bruins? It's a really, really good matchup in the, in the Pac-12. It's come a long way. The Pac-12 needs UCLA to win this game like blood if they wish to have a chance to make the college football playoff because they're the only undefeated team remaining in the conference here right now. What's interesting in the game is this is only the sixth time at Austin, Austin Stadium, Austin Stadium there's been a matchup of two top ten teams coming in here. Oregon has scored more than 40 points in all six of their football games. I say that because it's not a good role for teams that are favored after doing just that. The law of averages returns against teams like that. I'm going to ride with UCLA. I've been on them all season long, and there's no sense in getting off the bandwagon. It's triple revenge for Chip Kelly against his former team. I don't think they'll take him out four in a row. I like the Bruins in the upset. All right, Playbook Sports. Let everybody know about Playbook Sports, also the Coffee Club. And all this good stuff going on, Mark, because you're making a lot of people a lot of money this year. Well, everything's available. We're doing, Kenny. Uh, all of our publications are really, really uh, on fire. Our midweek alert statistical newsletter, there's a real big special on that. You can read about that. Everything we do at playbooksports.com. You can download the newsletters. Any subscription you subscribe to or my service, you'll also get my coffee club free in your email box each and every morning. And as you know, Kenny, it's a good read to get yourself started on the sports card. Check it out at playbooksports.com. Yeah, great, great read and great questions from the peanut gallery that uh, throw them at you, Mark, and you have great 
great uh, you know, answers there and great database information and, of course, great quotes. It's all together there and, uh, you know, great stuff, Mark. Appreciate you big time. Same bad time, same bad channel next Wednesday. Have a great week, Mark, and we'll talk to you soon. Hey, my pleasure, as always, Kenny. Be well, stay safe, and have a good week. There you go. At Mark Lawrence on Twitter, Mark spelled with a C. Do not forget about the Preventative Diagnostic Center, Dr. John Pearson Company. We got the only scanner of its kind in the region. Gives you early detection before signs and symptoms of more than two dozen ailments like heart and lung disease and cancer. It is the Preventative Diagnostic Center under Dr. John Pierce. Does a great job. Got the 702 down for Vegas. Call now. Make that free educational consultation call. 702-534-7900. 7900. You let them know KT from SportsX Radio sent you. Christy and I, of course, got the scans, and we had our second scan after a two-year interval. So it's great to get that information that you know that your organs are clear. Uh, heart CT scan and calcium score special continues to run. 125 for a $600 value. Your significant other absolutely free. So the two of you for a total of 125 a $1,200 value. Comfortable scan takes just a few minutes, and then you get a detailed report from a board-certified radiologist just a few days later. Early detection is key. Get peace of mind. Take charge of your health. If you're coming out to Vegas, set it up prior to. Give a call, 534-7900. Use that 702-534-7900. PDCenterLV.com. You can go there and check out the scanner. Ken Thompson Live, Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo, one of three in the Vegas Valley. They are 24-hour establishments. Check them out. We'll come back with Art Dice, baby, my main man, Arthur DeCesar. He's in risk management over there at the world-famous Superbook. we got lots to talk about. His Yankees went down today. We'll see if he thinks they bounce back back tomorrow. We are live from Vegas, live at Steiner's Pub, 101.5 on the FM side, 720 on the AM side. Tyler running the show. We'll be right back, live from Vegas. some love and yeah that's a little spencer davis group coming back here live steiner's pub ken thompson on a wednesday night hump day all three steiner's pubs rocking and rolling boy the phoenix suns getting rocked again by the dallas mavericks kt uh watching some nba some nhl got the uh, seattle kraken and st louis blues going on and my good pal art to caesar art dice baby he is live steiner's pub well he's i'm always here steiner's pub but he's over there at the beautiful westgate superbook and what a great facility i mean there's no better place to watch all the action big comfortable chairs i mean drinks when you make your wagers you get the drinks and the gals come right there to you i mean doesn't get much better than that and then on saturdays and sundays during football season it's ridiculous just the atmosphere there uh the crowd you know there's something crazy always going on you can hear the highs and lows of the crowd just depending on where their money is art dice great to have you man and i feel bad because i've gotten money of course on those yanks to win the series and i was just hoping after bader hit that home run i was like man maybe they could shock him and steal game one and i got to give him credit i mean tyon i thought he was going to get shelled after giving up uh you know a long ball himself but you know he kind of held his own and then the bullpen kind of caved in a little bit schmidt gave up a long ball and and uh, they struggled big time uh, down the stretch, got the home run from Rizzo, and then got men on first and second, but that was it. And they lose the game four to two. So now they got to come back tomorrow in game two from H Town. 
They got to get that one, man. I don't think they can go down 0-2. I think psychologically, if they can get that split and just go back to New York, you never know. They may be able to get over the hump, but they know realistically that they could have easily lost all seven games to the Astros this year. They had that one four-run ninth where they pulled that one out. But other than that, you know, it's been slim pickings. What about it, Art Dice? My man, your Yankees. Get them together for me, will you? There's a lot of things, even in a loss, that you actually can still take like you could still feel good about. And first for me is they didn't use any of the key bullpen guys. You didn't have to burn the Wiseman. You didn't have to burn Holmes, Wandy Peralta. You still have those guys. Obviously, when you are the visiting team and Houston has home field, you just have to steal one game. Game two is the game they have to steal. And they fought. They battled. They had a shot. They had a shot in the night, maybe to get a bloop and a blast, tie the game up. But you know, you're going to need a big performance out of Severino. Listen, you got to score more than one or two runs in a playoff game. So, you know, the offense has to step up. They have to, they can't strike out 17 times. You got to put the bat on the ball. I like that the bullpen is rested. You'll have those guys ready to go. Hopefully, you can get four or five innings out of Severino and then do what you have to do in the bullpen. Houston is in their head a little bit. They have owned the Yankees of recent. It's a house of horrors down there for us when we go to Houston. I say we because I'm the biggest Yankee fan in the world, and I take this stuff personally. But I really think they have a shot if they can steal game two tomorrow. And then, you know, you never know because you get three games, games three, four, and five in the Bronx. You know the crowd will be into it. You got the uh, line last I saw. The Westgate posted a Framber Valdez minus 157 shaded to the under minus 120. Absolutely. That's what we opened the game at. Obviously, the game just ended, but we're quick. We get those lines up very quickly. We have Houston minus 150. Like you said, a total of seven under uh, money You know, on that if you're going to take the under at minus 120. If you're going to lay the run and a half with the Astros, you get plus 160. If you're going to take the run and a half with the Yankees, you got to pay minus 180. All right, so Musgrove and Suarez, and Ranger Suarez, he's a wild card, man. I mean, that guy could pitch a gem or he could get racked and be gone in a third of an inning. Musgrove goes for San Diego much more uh, reliable as far as, you know, his numbers rather consistent compared to Suarez. But Musgrove, minus 108, 7.5, shaded to the under. I'm going to take Philadelphia. What is the adjusted series price now that San Diego has evened things up? It is a pick em, KT flat minus 110 on both sides so we look at this as a real toss-up series and you know when game two ended and we reopened you know we opened game three we basically had it as a pick as well we had it minus 105 and then you know some padre money came in and we got to as high as padres minus 113 then some philly money came in so there's been some good split action on the game now we're at what you said Padres' slight favorite, minus 108, to the Phillies, minus 102. Total at 7.5. We had it over minus 120, and then under money came in on that even. Now we're at minus 115 on the under, so early under money. And if you're going to take the Padres laying the run and a half, you're getting the plus 150. Taking the Phillies plus the one and a half, you're laying the minus 170. I'm with you, though. I, I, I don't know. This, to me, is a toss-up series. I still think... The Padres, if they can get back to San Diego, take care of the series. But I think we see seven in this.
Yeah, Drury coming up with some big hits today and uh, the home run to get him off the schneid when they were down 4 nothing. That was big. They got the back-to-back home runs uh, from Bell after Drury homered, and then they put up that five spot, kind of shocked everybody there in the fifth and came back from the dead with seven unanswered, and then both teams got a run, 8-5 the final. Padres win it and uh, even that series up. I will say this. The reason I like Philadelphia is I like that the two main sticks in the lineup are both dialed in, and that's Schwarber and Harper. And so now going home, I feel even better with those two guys, you know, being dialed in. Everybody else can pick it up a notch. I think they'll be okay. Now, 13 strikeouts by Padres pitching. Uh, Phillies actually had 10 themselves. But the Phils going back home on Friday now, that's a big-time game. You like San Diego to get it back to uh, San Diego. I can see them getting one out of the three. I think Philly's got a chance to close them out, but they got to win game three. I think it's going to be one heck of a series. If they can beat Musgrove, I think Philly's got a great chance, and we'll see how uh, that pans out. Let's jump over to uh, college football, because I did a lot of NFL with Mark, and we'll get to the NFL. We'll come back. There's some big games, and I was on Tennessee last week over there at the uh, Superbook, and it paid off nicely. Look, they got outgained pretty good, but at the end of the day, they took care of business now there's some big games Alabama's in action Tennessee's got Tennessee Martin so you know maybe a letdown and and uh, maybe they have trouble covering against an FCS team but as far as Alabama they've got Mississippi State the boys from Starkville who come off a loss going into Tuscaloosa it's still tough once you get that bubble bursted they were able to avoid the loss in Austin winning that game by a point they did get Bryce Young back he put up astronomical numbers last week but they found a way to lose, which Saban's boys don't often do in those close games, and it was one for the ages for the volunteers and their faithful. Your take on Bama, big-time favorites. What's the last line that I that you've got over there as far as Bama at home against Mississippi State? Bama laying three touchdowns at home, minus 21, Mississippi State obviously coming in. And you're right. You would think Saban will have his boys ready to go. Still with the eyes on the prize, you know, Bama is not out because they lost. They're just not. It's Alabama. They can still run the table. They can still go to the SEC championship game, and they could beat Georgia. So there are still ways for Alabama to get in. We all know that. What type of, you know, mood is Alabama going to be in? Or is this a team that maybe has been exposed a little bit? Because, obviously, they lost to Tennessee. They had a close game against A&M. They had a close game against Texas. I mean, legitimately, they could have two or three losses or at least two. So, you know, who knows? Obviously, they've had the quarterback hurt a little bit, and he obviously came back last week and looked great. But, you know, the early money, and it's early because, you know, we're sitting here on a Wednesday night. The early money has been on Mississippi State taking points with the Bulldogs plus 21. There you go. All right. So UCLA's at Oregon. There's going to be rain there. We know that. It says 95% chance of rain. Sometimes the weather will change, but they're pretty sure up there in Oregon this time of year they're getting weather, uh, you know, participation, precipitation, big time there in Eugene and in Corvallis for the Oregon State game. Now, Bo Nix has been outstanding, uh, not only throwing the ball, 12 touchdowns, three interceptions, but he's also run the ball really well, better than eight yards of carry, and he's got eight touchdowns himself on the ground. They've got Irving and Whittington, pretty good ground game, Franklin, Coda, Hudson, uh, Ferguson's good solid tight end. Look, this team's different when they're at Autzen Stadium, and Chip Kelly knows that, of course, bringing his Bruins in because he coached there for so many years. DTR out of Bishop Gorman doing a nice job for the Bruins, and they come off big wins 
uh, back-to-back at home against Washington and Utah. But that's the thing with UCLA. They played five of six games at home. Their one road game was against Colorado, a weak Colorado team. They went and beat their former coach, Carl Doral, pretty good. But Oregon, I like the, you know, maybe the strength of their schedule a little bit more. And I think a real deceiving score in the opener, 49-3 to Georgia. People just assumed they got blown out. But in the first quarter and a half, Bo Nix was doing okay. A couple interceptions, one that got taken back to the house the other way, 14-point swing. And so it looks like more of a blowout. And, of course, after, you know, it got to where they knew they were out of it and they're far from home and it's really a home game for Georgia I get it they got beat but now they're minus six 72 the total I could see a lot of points but because of the weather I want to stay away Charbonnet has been great on the ground for the Bruins and like I said Knicks Irving and Whittington on the ground for the Ducks pretty solid who do you like in this one because to me again Oregon is just a different team at Autzen Stadium it's a tough one for me because I was on the Bruins when they beat Washington and when they beat Utah but I'm not so sure I'm not going to take Oregon in this one yeah, and I, you know, I've been dead wrong against UCLA, with UCLA. I've kind of picked against them a couple weeks here. But, you know, it's funny. The weather has not stopped betters from betting the over. 69 and a half, it's now 72. So you've seen two and a half point move to the over. Over money keeps coming in. I'm with you. Oregon is kind of like lost in the shuffle there. I mean, they're sitting 10th in the country. And I know a lot of times the polls don't mean anything. But I think people forgot, you know, they played that game week one against Georgia. Like you said, score probably a little deceiving getting blown out by basically 50 and UCLA give them credit they've answered all challenges so far this year but like you said a lot of them have been at home now they're going to travel to a really tough place and I always look at the Pac-12 and why I've gone against UCLA a lot you know early in the year it's because like the Pac-12 just swallows each other like it always seems like all right this team's now the hot team and then they go on the road and play and they lose so to me I'm with you I think Oregon despite Maybe the high spread, but it's still under the touchdown. I think you lay the points with Oregon because the Pac-12 just seems to, you know, swallow each other. And, you know, whoever the hot undefeated team is, they end up losing. So I think that happens to UCLA this week. I know there's a lot of hype with Ewers back at quarterback with Texas. Bijan Robinson's outstanding running game, uh, running back in that running game there for the Longhorns. Worthy and Whittington, pretty out. Pretty solid and consistent receivers as well. Uh, Jalen Ford and Overshone may lead that defense there for uh, the boys from Austin. They go to Stillwater. And I don't know how much people are paying attention to the weather. I talked about it on my show last night. And I know the, the total has dropped down to 60 and a half, 61 around town. But you guys are flexing a 60 and a half. There's going to be right now 23 mile an hour winds. And that's a crosswind there in Stillwater, according to my uh, good friends there at uh, Oki State and Stillwater that are at all the games. So I played the under. I got it at a higher total. But I expect if it is going to be one of those crosswinds, uh, my, my one bud said, look, it really takes a toll on the visitors because they have no clue how to handle it. We do because we played it, uh, you know, year after year in certain situations. So I'm going to look at Oklahoma State plus the six. 60 and a half is the total already played the under. Uh, again, at a higher number, I think I got 62 and a half. Your take on this one, Texas goes to Oklahoma State. Spencer Sanders will have to have it together with Richardson, uh, Dominic Richardson out of the backfield, and John Paul Richardson, pretty good receiver. He and Presley to carry the load always tough to give the pokes points on their home field in Stillwater because Gundy's guys are usually ready. I don't disagree. And, you know, good for you getting that number. And it was even higher, 64 and a half. We opened, we did get to the 62 and a half, which I believe you got. And now we're at 60 and a half. So you've seen a four point move to the under, and there could even be more under money that comes in, you know, 
two really good teams. Obviously, the Big 12 is kind of like the Pac-12 where, you know, the good teams play each other and they kind of just beat up on each other. Texas was in a spot last week where you figured they'd be kind of a little lax of days ago. They come off beating Oklahoma 49 nothing. They just barely survived beating Iowa State by three. I get it. Oklahoma State, what's their mindset? They blew that game to TCU. I know it was on the road. TCU is a good team. But, you know, they had that game, and they controlled that game and basically blew the game. They should be undefeated still. So, you know, what's the mindset of Oklahoma State? Texas obviously has to come in on the road. I'm with you. I think six is probably a little too much. If it was Texas like three, I'd probably take Texas. But I think when you look at the six and if we get even any higher – I'm with you. I'll take the points at home, especially with a Big 12 team. Points at home are always a good thing. All right, last game from Fort Worth, college-wise, uh, TCU minus three and a half. We know Dykes and the guys can put up points and find ways to win. They've done that in those last two against Okie State and Kansas the week prior. They're minus three and a half, and that number's come down because K-State, they're a very pesky team. We know they're well-coached. Uh, Clemens an outstanding coach, and Adrian Martinez has been playing out of his mind. Uh, he's got four uh, touchdowns passing 900 yards, but he's rushed for nine touchdowns and over 500 yards. And when you couple that together with Deuce Vaughn out of the backfield, Malik Knowles is one of those game breakers. He and Phillip Brooks, pretty good receivers. This K-State team is pesky, and they are tough, and they're plus eight in the turnover department. This is going to be a fun one. Kansas State at Fort Worth against TCU. TCU minus three and a half, 54. Who do you like? Yeah, and you're also going to get K-State coming off a bye. Now, K-State had the one, not that it's a terrible loss, but they lost the Tulane Tulane defense pretty good. So, you know, you kind of write that off, and they won three straight since, and now they have the bye. TCU, I mean, you know, they're now sitting top ten in the country. Look at them, 6-0. and I mean, obviously they get the big comeback win last week against Oklahoma State. For me, it's always I like to take kind of the home team's in the Big 12, it's just the way I look at it. And it is a short price with TCU. I understand K-State will be ready to go coming off the bye, but there's kind of something special with TCU. So three, three and a half, which it is three and a half right now, I got no problem laying the points. You, like you said, there was some Kansas State money that came in early, but that was kind of public stuff. So I feel good laying the points with the the the, the, uh, the Horned Frogs here. I think TCU gets it done. All right, about two and a half minutes. Let's duck in some pro games here. Jets and Broncos, you know your Jets as well as anybody. Now they're catching a point at the Westgate, 38 low total. Man, I'll tell you, the defense looked solid. The run game, I mean, Brees Hall has uh, filled the bill. He and Carter, pretty good combination. What's your take on the green and white? Can they get the win in Denver? We've seen Russell struggle to put up any points. I'm having, a, I'm feeling that if uh, Wilson doesn't get sacked too much, that they're going to be able to put up enough points to get another road win. Well, you definitely missed the best number with the Jets. You know, it was as high as three. Sharp money came in on three, and it's come – in on the Jets basically all week. We got to as low as a pick It's now moved back up, so Jets are getting the point now. Denver's been horrible. You know, you and I talked over the summer. Denver under 10 was like my favorite play on the NFL board. They have not looked good. Wilson, I don't know. He just doesn't look like the same player. They can't score. The coach is bad. And I think the Jet coach is pretty good. Tough to take the Jets now. Like I said, you missed the best number, but it's hard to bet on Denver. All right, what about the G-Men? They're catching three, and now you can get them plus three and even money, 42-and-a-half at Jacksonville. Uh, I think people are still remembering that Lawrence had a big game in L.A. against the Chargers, but they looked, uh, you know, they've struggled the last couple weeks. What about it? Jaguars minus three at home against the G-Men. Can the Giants go to six-and-one? 
it's been all Jaguar money. And, you know, we're sitting at the three minus the 120. We haven't wanted to move off the key number of three yet to get to the three and a half. Listen, I'm sure if we do and that does happen, there will be giant money that's come in. Giants have been really good to better so far this year. And I don't know. Is it like, is this team just for real? And they're going to be this team that grinds out and slugs out games and wins games ugly. Their coach is really good too. Dable is basically, you know, coach of the year favorite, probably with the coach from the Eagles. So I don't know. It's tough for me, you know, to say, take the giants. Cause I think at some point this team will get exposed. I think if you can get the three or even less than the three, you got to take the Jaguars in the game. All right. Got 35 seconds. Raiders minus seven out of Legion back off the buy, but the Texans also off a buy 45 and a half. How much Raider money are you getting? And what do you anticipate? I think a lot of people will tease the Raiders down to one. I could definitely see it, KT. And, you know, we were six and a half. Now we're the seven. Like you said, both teams coming off the buy. That's actually driven the over up 42 and a half, now 45 and a half. So a lot of good over money has come in. Obviously, we always are usually going against the Raiders. So we'll be rooting for the Texans and the under the game. I'm with you. Raiders will be a very popular teaser play. At Art Dice 21 follow him on Twitter. Our number one in the books. Folks, please get down to the world-famous Superbook. You will love the atmosphere there. KT, atmosphere here is great as well. Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo. Coming back with our two, Chuck Hayes is going to join me. We'll talk some SC, some UCLA, some Rams, and some Chargers football. We are live from Vegas, 101.5 on the FM side, 720 on the AM side. Tyler runs the show. Our number one in the books. Keep it right here on KDWN. You're listening to SportsX Radio. Welcome back from halftime. It's just after 9 o'clock in the big city. Time to continue America's favorite Las Vegas sports show. Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson. <laughs> yeah. What up? Party's going on. Duh. Going to a party. Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson is brought to you by Hannah Shea Boyle and Rappaputi. Trial lawyers that get results. Visit PSBRLaw.com. Steiner's Pub, a true Nevada style pub with three locations one on Cheyenne, one on Buffalo, and one on the south end of the strip. Steiner's Pub, we love this place. Preventative Diagnostic Center, book your non invasive scan today. For peace of mind, visit pdcenterlv.com. Rob Ritchie, Farmers Insurance, 702-335-5744. 702-335-5744. Laborers Union 872, the builders of Allegiant Stadium and the Las Vegas Ballpark, home of the Aviators. Promodirect.com. Use K-10 for a 10% discount on your promotion items order. Promodirect.com. And by William Hill Racing Sportsbook, America's leading racing sportsbook. Visit WilliamHill.us. So get ready because Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson starts now. now. All right, KT, our number two live, Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo. Still a good crowd here. Come on down, make it down. And uh, again, if you don't make it down now, remember, it's a 24-hour establishment, not only here, 1750 North Buffalo, also the other two locations, 8410 West Cheyenne and, of course, 8168 Las Vegas Boulevard South right there at Windmill. Again, great spirits, great sports, great gaming. 
and of course outstanding food and the best service in town. It is Steiner's Pub, all three locations run brilliantly by Roger Sachs, my good pal. He's a big Cowboys fan. He's uh, happy as Dak Prescott is coming back this week after uh, the Eagles took care of business against the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football. Real quick, if you missed it on the Richard Badge and Finley, Finley Toyota out-of-town scoreboard before I get with Chuck Hayes, 42-17 to Appalachian State beat Georgia State. NBA, game's going right now. Mavs 90-78 to over the Suns, 8.45 to go. This, now it's 93-78, to so it's back to 15. The Suns had cut it to 79-76, went for the tying three, but uh, somebody was on the uh, baseline there and, and uh, had their foot out of bounds. You know, you see that much too often. Uh, as far as the NBA level, but now the Mavericks back on a big run. So 93-78, about eight and a half minutes to go in Phoenix. 92-89, Blazers lead the Kings up in Sacktown. Still 8-12 to go in that one. Kings went off a three-and-a-half point favorite total, 230 in that game. The other finals real quick, get them in there. Wizards. 114-107, they win their opener, minus 2.5, 229 and a half game stays under. Pistons, 113-109, they knock off the Magic. How about the closing line was four? There were some three and a half, so it depends when you got to the window because it finishes with a four-point uh, Pistons win over the Magic. 216 was the total, game flies over. Knicks and Grizzlies, Knicks get the cover. Line was bet down from 7.5 down to 4.5. Knicks cover, stay inside. They're losing overtime to the Grizz, 115-112. to 112. John Moran, a big game for the Grizz. 130-108, to 108. Pelicans dominate in Brooklyn. Durant had a good game offensively, but the rest of the team uh, not showing up. And uh, Zion Williamson had a big time game there for New Orleans. Total 232 and a half. Game gets over 130 to 108. New Orleans wins by 22 big ones in Brooklyn. 108-105 north of the border. Toronto takes out the Cavs. They were minus two and a half. Bet down from the opener of five uh, early yesterday and went down to two and a half. And the game finishes at three. Raptors win it by three. Total 215 and a half. Game stays under. Hits 213. 117-107. Hawks. They were laying 10. They win by 10. 117-107. 235 was your total. Total game stays under. Bulls surprised the Heat in South Beach, 116-108. Catching 7.5, didn't need it. They won the game by 8. Game gets over the 216, hits 224. Hornets, 129-102. They blitz San Antonio early and often, and that game flies over the total, 221.5, hits 231. And the Hornets, one point favorites in that game on the road, but win it by 27. That game was never close. Meanwhile, the Thunder came all the way back, took the lead against Minnesota, but the T-Wolves had the last run. Did not cover, but got the win at home. 115-108. Game stays under the total. They do not cover the 11. They win it by 7. And the Jazz at home. No Rudy Gobert. Didn't matter. 123-102. They blitzed the Nuggets. Nice effort there. And the Nuggets were 7-point favorites. Utah at home with the total of 225.5. Bet down to 225. It finishes at 225. 123-102. Unbelievable. Go figure. Meanwhile, on the ice... Uh, just three games, 4-3, to three, Florida gets past Philadelphia. Flyers' first loss of the year, same 4-3 score. Winnipeg wins at Colorado. Could have had Winnipeg, the Jets, plus 220. Tied at three after two, St. Louis, the Blues, in Seattle against the Kraken. So the Grand Salami will go over. Baseball, if you missed it, 8-5. Padres even the series with the Phils as they win the matinee game today. Trailing 4 nothing, but they win it by a score of 8-5. to five. And then game one of the AL Championship Series, Houston beat the Yankees 4-2. to two. Tyon pitched well enough. Verlander, I want to say he threw 120 pitches. It was crazy. He'll end up, I think, getting the win because they got a home run when the game was 1-1, I think, in the sixth or seventh inning that gave him 
uh, that W in that game. Game two tomorrow, and uh, we'll see how that game pans out. Yankees needed Severino a go against Valdez in that one. Valdez a minus 154, seven the total, shaded minus 120. Now we welcome in my good pal Chuck Hayes. Normally he's in the City of Angels, but not now. Chuck is back in KT's stomping grounds area, a little bit north of uh, Jersey. He's over there in Connecticut and staying up late after midnight there. But you know what? Pac-12 after dark, you know, doing the USC Trojan Report over here on KDWN on Saturday nights with Coach Harvey Hyde. They do a great job, and you never know uh, how late the guys are going to be up. But Chuck Hayes, I'm sure he's a night owl anyway. Uh, Chuck, great to have you as always on Wednesday. I know my audience looks forward to us going unplugged for about 45 minutes in hour number two. So I had to get all those scores in because I didn't give them an hour number one. How are things going, and what are you doing in Connecticut? Yeah, just handle a little uh, family business back here. This is where I grew up, and so uh, back here to take care of that. But it gives you a great appreciation on how East Coast-centric and how distant uh, West Coast athletics, college football, the NFL really is, uh, unless the games are played early and have a chance to talk with several family members who are diehard Giants, Patriots, uh, you know, baseball, uh, NBA, they all ask the questions about the West Coast like it's somewhere that they don't ever see. Why? Because they don't stay up late enough to be able to watch those games. And uh, it's an interesting dynamic. So I really get a great appreciation for how great it is to wake up on uh, Saturday and Sunday and have college football and the NFL on early in the, uh, in the morning. Chuck, let's start with USC because that was the game for the ages. Look, they went in, and I thought they played an outstanding game. They went in there, and they just took it to Utah in the first half. Had a 28-21 lead at intermission. You knew Utah is going to bring it, uh, the ceremonial helmets there with the two players that had lost their lives up there in the Salt Lake City area the last couple years. And so a big-time crowd there. Now they're coming off the loss in Pasadena to UCLA, but you knew Rice Eccles was going to be fired up. And at the beginning of the year, I said, you know what? If SC goes in there and they're unbeaten and Utah's unbeaten, which I expected the Utes to be unbeaten at that time, I thought they'd beat Florida. They blew that game down the stretch. And I thought they'd probably win at UCLA. But I did end up taking UCLA after I watched them blitz Washington the prior Friday. And I said, you know what? I think they have too much. And with Brankethi being out, I think that's going to be big time. But Kincaid came up big. The Vegas kid out of Faith Lutheran had a ton of receptions, like 14 receptions, whatever it was, for 234. And he was just phenomenal. But there was a key play in the game. And those that didn't watch it, and I tweeted it out, and it really irritates me. Look, I get protecting players. I get understanding CTE and all this stuff and concussion protocol, and it makes sense. We got the technology. Let's use it. But we also have technology to go in and change things when they're egregious, when they're wrong. And Figueroa came in, and he nails rising in the solar plexus, never touching the head area at all, never using the crown of the helmet. It was a third and six from Utah's 36. SC was up a touchdown. They would have got the ball back early fourth quarter, and they called. Here's the thing. They go, and they said, with intent of targeting, they come back and say, no, there's no targeting, but yet they still mark off the personal foul 15 yards for unnecessary roughness, which is absolutely ridiculous. How you can't take these things away makes no sense to me. College football it's got to change because you are costing teams games and potentially a championship. USC, they may not run the table. And the Pac-12, we know, 
how much they're up against it because of what's gone on in prior years to where they pretty much have to have a clean sheet in order to get to the playoff, to guarantee themselves getting to the playoff. Look, SC can still get there, I think, if they run the table and maybe get a, or either a rematch with Utah or knock off Oregon, who they're not playing in the regular season, or even UCLA, who they may end up playing twice if UCLA wins at Oregon this week. So we'll see how it plays out. But that was an egregious missed call, and to not have the authority – uh, to have you know a booth or somewhat se- something set up there, whether it's the, the, at the Pac-12 office or the NCAA has something to where they have maybe three people watching each game and you go back to the office like the NHL does. They go back to Toronto, and when there's a blown call and it's easy to change, that you could have changed in 30 seconds. It makes no sense to me. So, yes, I'm an SC fan. Look, I talked about them against Oregon State that I thought, you know, with the rules, they got the the break there as far as the scrum where they pushed Caleb Williams two yards to get the vital first down on a fourth down play and keep their drive alive. I don't like it, but that's within the rules. This is not within the rules to me, and it's it's got to be changed, Chuck. They've got to do something because you're robbing teams of games and you're losing, you know, you're, you're letting players stay in, but at the end of the day, you're still penalizing them 15 yards for what? For nothing. Yeah, Ken, I, uh, the one in the first half also that negated the bullet pick was a, a very, very difficult call to watch. And uh, let's give credit to Utah 43-42. It's always tough to play up there. They take a lot of pride. It was 53,000-plus in Rice-Eccles. And, you know, SC uh, gave up, you know, one point too many and wasn't able to stop them on the two-point play. Kyle Whittingham took the risk. And he got the reward. But, you know, when I was, I was talking to Coach Hyde about this, because, you know, we had done the game right afterward, so we've done our show right after the game, I asked him, was this a situation that was the style that we expect to see because of the air raid and what Lincoln Riley has done and what, you know, Alex Grinch experienced uh, at Oklahoma and at Washington State? and that they're just not able to get it done the right way because their defense just does does not rise to that level. And then I said, but on the flip side of the coin, the best defensive mind in uh, college football resides in Alabama, and he gave up 52 to Tennessee. So where are we at? Is it just the skill set of the athletes and the way the offense is is so great? that you can't cover everybody. It's just a, a tremendous time. If you love offensive football and uh, I love offensive football, I like seeing it, you know, thrown around the field, but the ability for players to make plays. And I want to tell you, Caleb Williams throws the 18 to 22 yard dig route to Jordan Addison as good as anyone I've ever seen. His arm is underrated. He really has the ability to put it right where he wants to. Now, they got a little bit of heavy. Then they had some players come in and make some plays. Uh, Michael Jackson from Las Vegas with a big touchdown. Uh, wearing that Juju Schuster number nine, he looks like a different kind of player. And let's give credit to Cam Rising and, and uh, Utah for what they did to uh, be able to come back from a tough loss in the Rose Bowl. Remember, they were at the Rose Bowl two times in the last year, came away empty, and that was a huge game for them in Salt Lake City. Yeah, no question. Uh, Jordan Addison banged up. Where are we as far as Addison? And there was another player for SC that was banged up as well. I'm thinking Addison may miss some time. Uh, right now, we got a buy. We USC has a buy, and so that uh, helps in regards to 
getting everybody well. And I think what happens is Eric Gentry, you saw him come out of the tent hopping on one leg. He is a huge loss uh, to uh, USC uh, if he can't go. But there, the words are, and Lincoln Riley's not the, how can I say this? He plays it pretty close to the vest in regards to injury reports. But uh, they're going to get a chance to go on the road and play in Tucson. And, again, uh, their, their linebacker play has to improve. Their DBs are making too many tackles. And defensively, they've had some stops. They've had some turnovers. And, remember, that one down by the goal line was huge when, uh, when that was knocked out and, uh, and stopped uh, uh, Utah from scoring again. So their defense has to get better. Uh, we've got to see more of a contribution from some of their five-star recruits. I'm talking about Corey Foreman. He has to be a better player the second half of the year. Yeah, we'll wait and see how that pans out. All right, so uh, Southern Cal with the bye comes at a key time. What about the game, the big game in the Pac-12 this week? There's a couple of good games, but this one is huge at Autzen Stadium. Both teams coming off the bye, Oregon and UCLA. Look, it's a Bruins team. And you and I talked about it early on that you couldn't get anybody there in L.A., not even the Bruin faithful excited about Bowling Green, Alabama State, and South Alabama. Very fortunate to beat South Alabama in that early morning game there in Pasadena. Go to Boulder, get the win against Colorado, no surprise there, but then the back-to-back wins at home against Washington and Utah turn some heads. Look, DTR's playing outstanding football. Charbonnet's running it better than seven yards a carry. Uh, Bobo's pretty solid receiving-wise. And the kids they got that transferred from Hawaii, you got great Jason and Gabriel uh, Murphy on the line there. Uh, Darius Muasu, uh, who's their leading tackler. Uh, Leatu Latu has six and a half sacks there for UCLA. Look, they're scoring 42 points, giving up 23. But again, that, that schedule and who they played. Uh, they, they did get the wins against Washington and Utah, so those are key. But those are home games. Now you're going to Autzen Stadium. And I understand Chip Kelly coached there. But those players didn't play there, and that is a big deal to me. And I love the way that Bo Nix is mixing things up right now. He's running for better than eight yards a carry. He's got eight touchdowns on the ground. He's thrown for 12 and over 1,500 yards. Irving and Whittington, these guys averaging 7.2 and 6.5 yards per carry between them. And then Franklin, Coda, Hudson, tight end Ferguson. They got plenty of weapons. Uh, DJ Johnson's an outstanding linebacker, leads that defense. Yes, they got blitzed at Georgia. That game was in Georgia against the uh, defending champions. Again, a, a closer game early on than people thought. A couple turnovers, one pick six that went the other way was a 14-point swing as they were going in uh, to try and get within four, and they end up losing 49-3. to So that's what you look at. A lot of people looking, oh, they got crushed. Look, Oregon's only given up one sack this entire year. They got 13 of their own. Very impressive. I think Oregon is the right side here. I'm very impressed with UCLA. They've made me good money against Washington and Utah. But at the end of the day, this is a road environment that, to me, when Oregon's playing well and they're playing great ball right now, and I understand Eastern Washington, BYU, at Wazoo, Stanford, and at Arizona, still they got a couple road wins, and now they're back at Autzen Stadium in the rain where they're much more comfortable than UCLA. I think Oregon takes care of business, hands the Bruins their first loss, despite Chip Kelly's track record of all those years he coached UCLA, I mean Oregon, up there in Autzen Stadium. Your take on this one, Chuck Hayes. It's exciting. And, again, think about UCLA last year losing 34-31 in the Rose Bowl, and they were in that football game. They were uh, up 17-14 at the half. Uh, the third quarter was not kind to UCLA. 
Uh, Oregon scored 13, and then UCLA came back and scored 14, but came up short at the end of it. Uh, there was a different quarterback. It was Anthony Brown. The transfer from Boston College was that player that day for for Oregon. And, of course, Dorian uh, is back for another year. So here's the way I, I see it. If it had been any other coach other than Chip Kelly going into Eugene, I would think Oregon would probably be, I don't know, I would say nine nine or ten point favorite. What's it looking like right now? Six? Six, yeah, That's six. how it is? Yeah. Yep. So you figure, you figure Chip's preparation, his ability to build the confidence with this football team to go on a road trip and, and in a very tough environment. Uh, when I coached at Long Beach State, we, we opened with uh, – with uh, Oregon, with Bill Musgrave, Lattenberry, uh, Terry Ode- Terry Obi uh, were there, and uh, Dirk Lavelle, great team. I can still see them running up and down the field as they kicked our tail 49 nothing. And, of course, the next week we came back and played UCLA in the Rose Bowl, and they got us 56-3. to So that was with Troy Aikman. So I saw some good players that first part of the year. I think what has to happen is that UCLA, within their standpoint, have to not turn it over. That's that's the key. You've got to win that turnover battle and field position because as things go, uh, you cannot get into a scoring race on the road. It, it doesn't it doesn't turn out well. When you're the home team, you have the momentum, you have the home crowd. You know that kind of energy comes forth. You get in those track meets, and it's always you know who doesn't make the kick, what does it come down to, a turnover, that kind of thing. But I think UCLA playing with a, a real quiet confidence. And, again, uh, Oregon has a first-year coach, so he's not faced Chip Kelly uh, other than watching him on film. And uh, we've seen what, what's gone on in regards to matchups. But, again, I think this is, for me, in Los Angeles, it's great to say UCLA is in a must game. That is just really exciting to hear for the town because USC is off this week. So it's the Bruins show Game day's coming in. We're going to know more about what's going on. And face it, Chip Kelly always has a trick or two up his sleeve. That's that's the way he he coaches. Last year, they came up just a little bit short. They made a decision. Like, I'm trying to think back to it. That kind of backfired where he went for it when they didn't have to, and it was a, a swing. So let's watch Chip. And, again, when you're watching this game, watch the adjustments and see what UCLA does. They can run the ball. They proved that with Charbonnet. They could throw the ball. They proved that with uh, DTR. And so uh, give them a mixed match, and uh, it's great to have a fifth-year senior at quarterback. Yeah, no doubt. And it is also good for Oregon under uh, first-year coach Dan Lanning to have Bo Nix playing with a lot of confidence. And, again, coming off that blowout loss against Georgia – you know, folks were fired up in Oregon just to see how their team would do against the defending national champions. And to get blown out like that, look, you can have the whole season, uh, you know, be railroaded. But they didn't. Instead, Bo Nix put it together, and he's really having a nice year. And I think this is the quarterback that a lot of, of the Auburn faithful uh, thought that they would see week in, and out, week in, week out. And he's mixing it up really well. And I just think it's going to be one of those games. But that atmosphere is going to be ridiculous. And, again, turnovers, when the ball's wet – 
could come into play. I know Oregon gets more games in inclement weather than UCLA, but again, uh, Chip, I'm sure, will practice that and practice with some wet footballs and, and try and get uh, DTR and Charbonnet and Keegan Jones and the guys acclimated to play in that weather. Getting them acclimated to play in that environment, that's a different story because that crowd is going to be just ballistic like we saw Rice Echoes last week. Should be a heck of a game. Uh, Chuck, give me a, give me a, an opinion on that game with the six because I'm going to I'm gonna probably lay it with Oregon, and it's a bigger number than I want to lay, but I think they're going to win it by more than a touchdown. I, I guess what I look at is I look at uh, an opponent that I saw play live against SC, and that's Washington State. And the quarterback play at Washington State was not at the level, and yet they hung in there and only lost 44-41 to Oregon, and it was in Pullman. So if that level of play that they got at Washington State – I know the DTR is much better than that. So if, if Washington State can put up 41 on Oregon, I, I got to think UCLA can match that number. I, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not big into the cross comparisons, but it's the only thing I could see. And again, this is a Washington State team that was undisciplined, that played with SC pretty equal, but they would do stupid penalties in the sense stupid. Every penalty's, you know, just a reaction to, to pressure going offside, a bad holding call, this or that. So I would say that if Washington State could put up 41, I think UCLA could play with that number. Okay, for I'll just tell you, because I watched that game, Washington State scored late in that game. In fact, with one second left, they got uh, their last score, and they did have a 10-point lead, which was wiped away in three and a half minutes with Oregon putting up 22 points, but Oregon outgained them by over 200 yards in that game, and it was just a couple fluke plays that kept Wazoo around. So very deceiving, and that's why sometimes you've got to watch that game because a 44-41 final score, you're thinking, oh my God, it went back and forth. It did not. In fact, Wazoo had a lead, and people were looking like, how could this team be leading? They're out game by 250 yards, but fluky things happened, and uh, Oregon was able to come back, and they did get the win, so I'm not going to put as much into that as you. Uh, I am going to be looking forward big time, and that game was, uh, I believe, was at the in the Palouse, right? So It was, uh, yeah, it was, it was in Pullman, but again, again, when you, and maybe BYU took more out of Oregon the week before, and, they, and you know, those things happen. Those, this is college football. This is why we love it so much. Yeah, no question about it. Looking forward to that. Uh, talk to me about Alabama and Tennessee, because Tennessee and Hendon Hooker are able to uh, get the biggest win in Knoxville in a long time and to beat Saban 52-49. I mean, just one for the ages. And, of course, folks that don't know USC football wouldn't have known who kicked that knuckleball field goal for the game winner. McGrath there, former Trojan. Uh, big-time win for Tennessee, and Hendon Hooker has his volunteers, six team 6-0, 3-0 inside the SEC. Now, they're in the East Unfortunately for them, they're in the East. In other words, if they were in the West and got that win against Bama, that would be like two games. But because it's just the one, they still have to go in between the hedges and take on a pretty good Georgia team. In fact, the number one team in the country. So uh, nothing sealed there for Tennessee. Yes, they're off to a a great start. And in Knoxville, uh, Heupel getting the big-time win. But again, they still got to go to Georgia. I'm not sold yet on Georgia or Alabama's defense. Now, Georgia's looks better, but the teams that they've played 
have paled in comparison. And I think the West is much stronger than the East, although the uh, East has picked it up with Kentucky and getting Chris Rodriguez back. Uh, Florida's not the same team. Uh, Richardson's not a bad athlete, but they don't have near the players that they've had over the last several years. So it looks like, to me, for all intents and purposes, it'll be the winner of the Georgia-Tennessee game that would uh, end up getting out of the East. But Tennessee, uh, Kentucky's not not dead in the water as of yet. And Mark Stoops, again, I always talk about him being one of the most underrated coaches in the country. There is no doubt. Now, in the West, you know, Bama, they've got a rebound against Mississippi State at home. Shouldn't be a problem there. But Mississippi State, you better not take them lightly because they can step up and have a good game or two. They still have to go to Baton Rouge. I mean, they've got some tough venues to go to, Alabama, and uh, we saw the scare that they had in Tuscaloosa against Texas A&M. Now, they had their backup quarterback there, and we know when Bryce Young plays, it's a different game. I mean, he throws for 455 and a couple touchdowns in that game against Tennessee. That's good enough to blow out most teams, but again, Hendon Hooker having his big-time game and accounting for six TDs himself, so uh, just a big-time game. Where are you as far as you know, after you watch a game like that, Alabama, Tennessee, you think Bama's still good enough maybe to get back in that playoff hunt? Not that they're out of it at number six, because like we said, we know Georgia, Tennessee, one of those two teams is going to lose, and that'll push them behind Alabama. And then we've got some other teams, including Ohio State and Michigan, that will go head-to-head that are also ahead of Bama. So they're still there right where they need to be, so to speak, to where if they run their table, they know they're going to be back in the playoff. Who's got the most important job this week in Knoxville? It's the guy that has to replace that goalpost. That, to me, is a story for uh, uh, 30 for 30 on uh, how the goalpost was installed, how it was torn down, where it ended up, and now they got a new one. So do they put in any different restrictions now? Because, you know, when those guys were going nuts, sure it was Alabama, but, you know, you always wonder, and thank goodness, uh, you know, anytime you have those huge crowd scenes, you hope that no one gets hurt. I've been involved with a couple of them, and they are frightening because people aren't trying to be violent, but the enthusiasm that goes on. Hey, look, Alabama's got to play better defense. There is no way that you can sit in a meeting and watch film with Nick Saban and not learn something from that loss. So that's going to be the difference maker. And, again, it's execution. You know, when you have those tandems of quarterback and receiver and you have the time – and you get in this scoring race, and, and I was very impressed. I mean, Bryce Young took some some shots, and that's a tough kid. I mean, that's a guy that came off the carpet. He is the leader of that team, and I think Alabama, uh, if anything, uh, you, you hate to see a loss like that, but, man, it, it lets the coaching staff really keep guys focused because they're not cruising along looking to lose. They already got one off their – off the checklist, and supposedly it's not going to help, not going to hurt them. It's just going to enhance the SEC in regards to where we're at with those with those programs. So again, I week in and week out, you don't know. I mean, you know, Kentucky could come in there. I mean, they've struggled a little bit the last couple of weeks, but how do you how do you get up for Kentucky after you beat Alabama? That's a that's a that's a tough way to go. Other than your home, that home stadium and that home happening in Knoxville is going to be something that really raises their level. Yeah, there's no question. All right, so Tennessee left on their schedule. You're right, Tennessee Martin this week, so let down big time, but yeah, still they in their sleep, they'll beat Tennessee Martin by 30. Uh, then Kentucky comes a call, and then you go right, in between. I misspoke. 
I missed the one. I'm sorry. I was a week behind on that one. Yeah. Thanks. Well, then, then you then you go in between the hedges. So your your next two games, then you get Mizzou at home at South Carolina. You better not sleep on the Gamecocks at home. And then at Vandy, should be able to close things out. Uh, can't take a rivalry game for granted. We've seen that happen before. Oregon's lost many times to Oregon State when they were the better team. You know, we know the SCUCLA story. I mean, Michigan-Ohio State, you know, uh, at the end of the day, you better be ready in that rivalry game. Even the Iron Bowl, we've seen, uh, you know, the underdog come out victorious, including Auburn over the last decade a couple times. So, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting with the volunteers. Uh, we'll see if they can... You know, they got the biggest win they needed on their schedule to keep things going. They got the whole city and the whole state behind them now. Uh, Can they keep it going? We'll wait and see because it's been Georgia, it's been Florida, and that's all it's been in the East in the SEC over the last 15, 20 years. Uh, Tennessee, it'll be a nice story, and it'll be nice to see Josh Heupel uh, keep things rolling there, but it'll be interesting to see if he can. All right, let's uh, jump over to some of the other conferences real quick before we duck into the NFL, Chuck Hayes. And uh, the Big 12 is very interesting, and TCU has a big home game coming up against Kansas State in Fort Worth, and it's a good K-State team. And Adrian Martinez has finally found a home, finally found a place offensively where – He doesn't have to do as much because, you know why? K-State's defense is pretty physical. And, you know, they come to play. They're off a bye this weekend. They go to Fort Worth. They got the early money. K-State's very opportunistic. And people say, ah, they lost a home game to Tulane. I get it. But has anybody looked lately? Tulane just busted into the top 25. So it's not a bad team. Uh, again, you got to come play and play your A game every week to stay unbeaten. But Adrian Martinez, he's rushed for over 500 yards and nine touchdowns. He's thrown for four and 900 yards. And then you have Deuce Vaughn out of the backfield. Very solid there. They've got good defensive players. How about they have nine interceptions? They haven't given one up yet, plus eight in that turnover department. But off the bye is key. Duggan's going to have to play an A game there for TCU. I love Kendra Miller. He's running the ball real well. Uh, DeMarcado helps him out a little bit. And then Quentin Johnson, Tay Barber, uh, Darius Davis, excellent receiving core there. Defense going to have to uh, slow teams down. Uh, they beaten Kansas 38-31 with a last-minute touchdown. And Oklahoma State 43-40 in their last two games. What about this game, TCU at home against Kansas State? Right now, TCU a three-and-a-half-point favorite in Fort Worth. Who do you like, Chuck? Well, the only thing that's lacking from the purple in this game would be Prince playing at halftime. I mean, this is uh, going to be a great one. And the Horn Frog fans are some of the best in college football. We just don't hear about this as much because of the fact that more West Coast driven and K-State, you know, they go out there. You don't see the five-star recruits. They develop players. They compete. And, again, this is this is a conference that, that you know, was Oklahoma and Texas, and now you're looking at the evolution of, of offense and how do you stop an offense with a great defense, and that's what K-State you know, has the ability to play. So with that three-and-a-half points, what? They always say that a home team gets, what, three points more than likely? This looks like one of the most even games on the board. Yeah, no doubt. i got to duck this in. Phoenix never quit in that game against Dallas. I got to give him credit. I got a brother-in-law who's a big-time Suns fan, and he was even saying, gosh darn, it's tough. Their roster didn't improve at all. CP3 declining with, uh, you know, this year he goes, I think it's going to be a long season. All Next text I get from him, Suns win, Suns win, 107-105. They come back and beat Dallas. Trailed that game for 98% of the time, and by double digits, probably 80% of the time, but they find a way to come back. Their opening game in 
Phoenix. That'll uh, get the fans focused in as they erase that brutal, well, they're not going to be able to erase that brutal defeat last year to end the season, but to get off on the right foot after struggling in that game, their opener throughout, and again, found themselves down by as many as 19, I believe, in that game, but come back and win at 107-105. Ken Thompson, Chuck Hayes, SportsX Radio, Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 Pacific Time, kdwn.com. You can pick it up there. If you miss any part of the show, SportsX Radio, you can check it out on Spotify. You can check it out on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Facebook. Get that archive up by 11 o'clock Pacific time. You can listen the next day or that later that evening or early morning, whatever your schedule is. Uh, no commercials. Mark Hope does a great job there getting that show all tailor-made for you. And, uh, again, SportsXRadio.com is the website. Ken Thompson, Chuck Hayes, Wednesday nights we go unplugged for about 40 minutes. Got about nah, 17, 18 minutes to go. Uh, Going to duck in a little bit more college, and then we'll get into uh, the NFL, and we'll talk a little bit about the Chargers. Uh, finding a way to get it done on Monday night against Denver in an ugly game, but nonetheless, a win is a win, and they went to 4-2. and two. They sit atop the AFC West with the Kansas City Chiefs. But two more games I want to duck in with you here, Chuck. One of them is a battle of orange, and it's Syracuse and Clemson. And Dino Babers has the Qs sitting at 6-0. They win 24-9 against NC State. Wasn't a great game, and Leary, of course, was out uh, going into that game, so a big advantage for Syracuse. And I like uh, Schrader. He's a good, solid quarterback. He mixes it up nice. He's rushed for five. He's thrown for 12. Sean Tucker is the real deal. This guy uh, can run it. He can catch it. And then Aronde Gatson, the second, has picked it up nicely now to lead that receiving core. So they've got players, a couple good linebackers, and Michael Jones and Marlo Wax. Uh, they're going to Clemson. And this is a team that has played Clemson pretty well three of the last five years. Now, you go back to 2016, they lost 54 to nothing. But they bounced back, you know, the following year. Uh, with Eric Dungy, uh, and and they won 27-24. That was a guy that was much maligned because he couldn't stay healthy, but they got that win. And then the following year after that, they went to Clemson, and they tattooed Lawrence pretty good. They lost a close one there, 27-23, and then last year only lost 17-14 to uh, Clemson. So, you know, can they hang in there? They're not intimidated at least, you know, six of the – well, let me see, five of the last eight years. Now, three, the other three were blowouts. But, you know, they come off a schedule where they played Louisville. They went to UConn, a better UConn team under Jim Mora Jr., uh, beat Purdue, uh, Virginia. Wagner doesn't count much, and then NC State. So not a great schedule, but not a really weak schedule like UCLA's non-conference schedule. Meanwhile, Clemson held on and beat Florida State. Uh, had a big third quarter to go up 34-14, held off Florida State as the Knowles got a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but the last one really in the waning seconds. Uh, DJ Uyangalele is doing a nice job there. The kid out of St. John Bosco, he's picked it up nicely, and Will Shipley compliments him great out of the backfield. Antonio Williams, Davis Allen, good receivers, and then Trenton Simpson leads that defense. Miles Murphy's pretty good as well. Your take on this one, Battle of Orange from Death Valley, Clemson against the Cuse, and uh, 13 and a half is what the line is. Clemson laying the Dino Babers and the Cuse. Well, obviously, you can't get in a shootout with Clemson down in Death Valley, so the formula for last year's success for Syracuse is that Tucker, the running back, carried it 22 times for 157 yards. Now, one of those was along of 54. But if you look at it and you understand, you want to keep their offense off the field. And that's what running the football does. It gives your defense a chance to get a blow, to get rested, and it keeps uh, that team frustrated. You want to have them flustered because 
obviously uh, high-octane Dabo, the way he coaches. I mean, he, he would be just the, the greatest guy to want to go to practice with and, and play with. You can just see the energy level that he brings and the competitiveness, and that's the thing that goes on. So, again, when you're in Death Valley, when you're in Clemson, South Carolina, and those tiger paws are everywhere, that's, that's worth it. I mean, that's at least, I would say, at least a five-point home favorite. So you mentioned 13. Can, can Syracuse keep it close? Uh, it'll be turnovers, kicking game, and how well Syracuse control, controls the clock. And uh, that's, where, that's where I see that going. And, again, uh, Syracuse uh, in the ACC still feels like, you know, they don't get the, the kind of players – that Clemson gets, but they're they're crafting it up in uh, northern New York. All right, and then Lane Kiffin, undefeated, 7-0. and Plus three in the turnover department, not too bad. But how about plus 16 in the sack department? They've got 19. They've only given up three. Jackson Dart, former SC quarterback, doing a nice job. Mixed it up well last week against Auburn. But what concerns me is the Ole Miss defense. They gave up 400 and some odd yards there, 441 to Auburn. Now, they got 578 themselves, and they rushed for 448, but they gave Auburn 301 yards rushing. That's concerning because nobody else has given up close to that. Uh, Judkins and Evans both uh, excelled big time. They combined for 275 and three touchdowns last week, and they both had a receiving touchdown. You have Wade and Watkins, pretty good uh, receivers as well, and then Finley and Brown lead that defense for LSU. Jaden Daniels, the transfer from ASU, had his best game as a Bayou Bengal. Threw for 349 and three touchdowns. He rushed for three more on the ground. I mean, Butte finally stepped up. Keishon Butte, we've been waiting for him to wake up. Outstanding receiver there for LSU. And then Baskerville, Penn, and Perkins Jr., these three linebackers are outstanding as well. Ojolari is really solid as well. Uh, the problem with LSU that they've had is they're minus eight in that sack to department uh and that's concerning in its own right but they are at home they're off the 45 35 road win in Gainesville against Florida they're at home LSU is a favorite in the game minus two and a half against Ole Miss uh, I think this is just going to be one of those games uh it's going to be a lot of fun now it's a 12 30 kickoff so 230 locally there in Baton Rouge your take on this one LSU minus two and a half 68 against the boys from Oxford Ole Miss all right, so you're Brian Kelly, and you get your schedule after you become the head coach, and you look at your opener, Florida State, and you go, okay. Then there's that, I would call it murderer's row. Auburn, Tennessee, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas. That, that's some work. That's some work to do. Well, he took care of uh, Auburn. It was close, but he got it done. They lost to Tennessee, and we saw what Tennessee did to Alabama. They blew Florida out by 10. Okay, on the road, that's a huge win. So I would say, again, in regards to, to Mississippi, is that we look at the, at the matchup at quarterback. Two guys that dueled uh, in the Pac-12 at the helms of these, of these teams. And, again, it's going to be a turnover battle. And I think, you know, when you go into, into um, Death Valley, uh, that Death Valley in Baton Rouge, that it's worth at least five points. And what do we got for a number, Ken, when we look at that? Uh, we've got two and a half. We've got LSU minus two and a half. Well, again, I think that this, this speaks to, to how, how even it's going to be. I mean, I think it comes down to main kick, miss kick. That's going to be where it's going to go. Now, is it a shootout? I don't know. I, don't, I, I look at the kind of numbers that LSU's offense put up, and they're starting to, they're starting to play in the 40s, okay? So – 
and you saw what Auburn did, you say running the ball, I, I think that uh, Brian Kelly's pretty sharp, and uh, and he's going to be a guy that puts pressure on Kiffin's defense. And again, how they respond, it's 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 anybody's it's anyone's game because you've not seen a matchup. Uh, between Brian Kelly and Lane Kiffin, unless it was back in the SC days. If those guys go head up against each other, I'm sure there's a record on that at one point. Yeah, we'll see how things pan out. But uh, Josh Williams had 106 on the ground in Gainesville. We'll see if he doesn't get the ball more. And Jaden Daniels, although he threw for the 349 and three touchdowns, he ran for only 44 but got in the end zone three times on the ground as well. And we know his days there in Tempe. This kid can mix it up. And when he's on, he's on. There's no question. He struggled in games, but when he is on, he is dialed in. And uh, he was last week. We'll see if LSU can get the win at home and derail the Kiffin train. Right now, Ole Miss sitting at at 7-0. Let's jump over to the NFL, Chuck Hayes, and uh, talk a little bit about the Chargers. They're 4-2. They're atop the division with KC. Herbert's starting to get healthier. What about Keenan Allen? When did they get him back? Are they just being uh, cautious there to want to rush him back from a hamstring? I get it. And Mike Williams, you know, playing pretty well. But the offense at times really struggles. But we know Denver's defense is pretty good. And when Chubb and the guys, you know, are able to get after you and Singleton and those guys, I mean, there's pressure. And uh, it's a tough defense to deal with. But they found a way with Hopkins, you know, even though the quad was banged up, somehow he's able to get that last kick through there in overtime. And they win the game 1960. Sometimes, Chuck, you played the game for a long time. You've got to have one or two of those ugly wins to kind of get you over the hump. Look, they'll have to have a replacement kicker for the next two to four weeks. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, you got to appreciate what Hopkins put out there for them to get that win on Monday night. What's your take on the Chargers? And you talked about Denver and Russell Wilson and, and their struggles. They're in a lot of trouble right now, I think, the Broncos. They are, and I think it's interesting. Uh, you know, whenever Pete comes to L.A., you know, Pete Carroll comes down, and, and he's still fired up because he still considers himself to be the prince of Los Angeles uh, when he was at SC and what he did. People love him, and, you know, the Seahawks, uh, uh, they're considered to be one of those teams that, you know, they let Wilson go. They're looking smarter and smarter at 3-3 three and three now. Here's the, here's the key. Who would ever thought that we would be talking about Geno Smith the way we are? I honestly certainly didn't think that he could step up and be that guy with nine touchdowns and only two picks. Agreed. And so, you know, you you have that, and uh, he's, a, he's a leader now. He seems relaxed. He seems like this is his team. He's not, he's not backing anyone up. This is his football team. So the Chargers, you know, they, you know, 1916 in OT, that, Probably took more out of them than we than we realized. Going to play on a short week here. Eckler been running the ball much better. Mike Williams stepping up for Keenan Allen. Now the kicker with no Dustin Hopkins. This is where, as we spoke earlier in the year, the move that the Chargers made to get better, the one that cost Anthony Lynn his job, was the fact that they had poor special teams play. They had poor place kicking. Hopkins comes in, Florida State guy. He stabilizes the position. It's tough to go out there and get a kicker every week. I watch them. When I go early, my favorite thing is to watch kickers work the field, to see where their range is. And most NFL kickers are good from 62 to 66 yards. Now, that's not with a, with a, uh, a line in front of them or a rush group coming in. When they just sit there and they get the long snapper, he's got his, his head right, and 
he gets it down. The, the holder, normally the backup, the, the punter is, is doing the placement, and you watch these guys drill. And does it get there just at 62, or is that, does it have some lift once it clears? I don't know who they've signed yet. Uh, I have not been updated on that. I, like I said, I've been traveling. But that's going to be a key, key uh, acquisition to be able to get them through. Because I got a feeling with the way Seattle's playing and how Pete gets fired up and Eugenio Uluso comes home, and I'm sure he would like to say hello to Justin Herbert and Austin Eckler. But when I look at, at Herbert, he does look healthier. He does look like he's still got, got the, uh, uh, the injury, but he is adjusting. Now, I watched some breakdown of film where some of the NFL experts were looking at him, and he had a tendency to throw off the back foot a little bit more. He was not that way early on in the year, so maybe that's a pain management situation. All right, so let's talk about the Raiders. They come off the bye week. They're 1-4. and four. We know that team could have won at least four of their games, realistically all five, but I thought the opening game against the Chargers, uh, yeah, they, they would have had, had to have a perfect last drive. Somehow they were still in that game, only down five, 24-19. They lose that game by that score. Uh, but the Raiders, you know, the tough loss in Tennessee, they missed a two-point conversion. The game with Kansas City, they were right there and blew two 17-point leads in that game and was just hard pill to swallow. Again, I, I get going for two on the road, but not with four minutes. That's just my personal feeling. Not not with four minutes uh, plus because you're leaving Mahomes, you know, four minutes where he only needs a field goal, knows what he needs. Uh, that's if you get the two points. If you miss it, then you got to hope you get the ball back. And they were fortunate to get the ball back late, but down a point. Sure, they could have got it done, but KC knows at that point, you know what, we can't give up anything. So I just thought risk and reward, my deal was let me let me get it to overtime. They got a backup kicker in Amendola who struggled to miss two inside the 45, while I've got Carlson who's made 38 in a row. So I thought a major advantage for the Raiders had it gone to an extra 10 minutes. But uh, they lose that game, then you get to think about it, right? You get to sit there, Josh McDaniels, uh, Coach Ziegler, I mean, uh, GM Ziegler and, and, uh, and, and the team, and just look and go, my God, we should be, you know, three and two at the worst, and we're sitting here at one and four. I mean, it's ridiculous. So now we are in must-win mode out of the bye, and we get another team off a of bye in the Houston Texans that's playing with house money. You know why? Because they're not expected to do anything. But because the Raiders made the postseason, go out and grab Devontae Adams and make some big-time splashes, Chandler Jones, they are expected to make the playoffs, at least from the Raider faithful and right now, it comes down to it that they better win this game on Sunday. They're minus 7, 45 and a half against Davis Mills and the Texans. Look, Lovey Smith has his team playing four quarters. Raiders can't take anything for granted, and they've got to play four quarters themselves, you know, and sometimes overtime. If they'd have played four quarters against the Cardinals, they wouldn't have had to have overtime. They find themselves in a very difficult spot. What about it, Chuck? Raiders minus 7, 45 and a half right here in Vegas at Allegiant Stadium Sunday. Yeah, this is where the Raider faithful will get a lift at that team. When they come in, this is one of those that they have to put a beat down on them early. Uh, Davis Mills is a guy that, you know, he'll, he'll throw the interception. So that's going to be one of those things that that secondary has said, we got at least to have two or three turnovers uh, running the ball. I, I think you got to get Josh Jacobs going high and often like he is. And along with Adams play pass and, I look at, I mean, who would not want to play in this offense with Jacobs, Adams, Renfro, and Waller? I mean, that is, if you're a quarterback, that's the kind of place you want to be. And so I think that what you look here is, you know, Lovey Smith is a defensive guy. That's what he made his bones on. 
in the NFL. They normally only give up 19.8 you know, points per game. So can the Raiders get to 25, 27? I think they can. And again, uh, with the defense, what they're playing uh, against a, a team that really does not have a true offensive personality. When Rex Burhead, uh, the former fullback from uh, Nebraska, is one of the key you know, cogs in your offense, not uh, a spectacular uh, fast running back. He's a guy that is a blue-collar guy. He'll you know, catch the pass coming out of the backfield. He'll block. He'll get that tough yard. But, you know, they got a rookie who's leading the team, Damon Pierce. Uh, he had 113 yards uh, last week, 98 rushing, one four, uh, 14 receiving. He's a guy that, you know, is unproven. So, you know, you get those rookie running backs, you got to let them know you're welcome. You, and when they say welcome to the NFL, right? Isn't that what the Raider defense is known for? Putting the herd on people. There you go. Uh, Chuck Hayes, get some sleep, my man. Almost 1 o'clock back there in Connecticut. Enjoy the family time and hope to have you back out in the City of Angels next week. And we will uh, get you back on on hump day like we always do. It is great stuff with Chuck Hayes unplugged, my man. We'll talk to you next week, Chuck. Have a great week back east, and we'll talk to you soon, buddy. I appreciate it, Ken. Thank you so much. Great stuff from Chuck Hayes. Always appreciate him. And, of course, with USC, on the bye week, uh, Coach Harvey Hyde and Chuck Hayes, uh, they still have that USC report on Saturday night right here on KDWN, but I think Chuck may actually have uh, the night off. So that'll do it for us live at Steiner's Pub. Thanks to Tyler and Mark Hoke back at the beautiful studio, and I'll be back at PSBR Law Studios tomorrow. But everybody here at Steiner's for making it so special. Really appreciate everybody. And folks, visit one of your three Steiner's Pubs here in the Vegas Valley. That'll do it for me. Tomorrow is a throwback Thursday. Looking forward to that. Till then, you know the rules. No drinking and driving, no texting and driving. Most of all, God bless our troops. God bless you. Live from Vegas Sports X Radio, 101.5 on the FM side, 720 on the AM side, KDWN. I'm your host, Ken Thompson. God bless, folks. Have a great evening. Talk to you tomorrow night. Good night, everybody.